0: We're back. I'm Your Brahm. Here with Jamakar Sandu and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into Weird, the Al Yankovic story, and it's a double feature. We're also talking about Harry Styles, My Policeman, and we're going to be talking about all the major movie and TV news of the week. Put it in. I'm tired of people thinking I'm some kind of joke. Your dad and I agreed it would be best if you just stop being who you are and
1: doing the things you love.
0: My whole life all i wanted i'm afraid
1: we found your son at a polka party
0: just to make up new words to a song that already exists oh well you should do that then in our first segment we're gonna be talking movie and tv news if you want to skip around and hear some reviews for my policeman or weird we got timestamps in the description john you know we're talking about a lot of tiff movies still Mm -hmm. I feel like that thing Has been paying dividends What a fantastic festival We saw some of the best movies Of the year And we saw some of the most Eccentric movies of the year And we'll talk about those In a little bit But uh, I want to talk about Some of the news this week First thing I really want to talk about Is the pictures that just came out Obviously everybody on the internet Whether you're heterosexual or not You are talking about Creed 3 And you're talking about Jonathan Majors And you're talking about Michael B. Jordan First off I just want to talk about How that thing Made like the internet so horny
1: I know right it's like, it's, there's nothing like seeing actors just be completely ripped and juiced to the gills, clearly. And the thing is, is we've seen- No, Michael, I gotta
0: I gotta be hopeful that these two aren't juiced, all right? I have uh, to be. It has to exist that somebody can be that jacked. I want to uh, be that jacked.
1: I'm not buying that. I'm sure they've got all the help <laughs> in the world. And honestly, I don't blame them. They're not professional athletes. So more yeah. power to them if they are going to go down that path. Yeah. And listen, we've already seen Michael B. Jordan look like in incredible shape in the previous two Creed movies. But Jonathan Majors, this is like a a complete body transformation and he legitimately looks the part and also laying the foundations for a pretty long run in the MCU if he's gonna play different versions
0: of Kang, right? Dude, honestly, when I saw him, he looks way more... I thought Michael B. Jordan was like as ripped as you can get. But then this guy went and took it to the next level and on top of that, uh, he actually released a statement, Michael B. Jordan that is talking about how he worked with uh, Jonathan Majors and he said that we created a brotherhood during that film. You sweat together, you bleed together, you cry together laugh together and he talked about just the relationship that they've built and how much of a personal project this has been for him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I kind of want to get your thoughts. Like obviously, you know, coming from your experience in the fight community and all that kind of stuff, what is yeah. your opinion on Breed as a franchise and how much staying power it has and how excited you are for this next one, but also just from like the perspective of how relevant boxing feels? Because UFC and MMA doesn't have a like a movie like this that can mm-hmm. exist at this high a level on any sort of platform.
1: It's one of those things it might might be the fact that it's been grandfathered in because boxing has been around a lot longer than MMA. And because of that we've seen and had so many great boxing movies from Raging Bull to the Rocky franchise and you know Creed kind of has taken the baton from the Rocky series. Yeah. And when the first movie came out it was fantastic. It was almost like Rocky, you know, via Creed yeah. got a second wind. Creed 2 was a little bit below par, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you, when you kind of consider they were going to kind of use the Drago angle. And I think most people watching that thought, oh, well, they've completely mixed, you know, missed the mark there. With Cree 3, Stallone's got nothing to do with it. So outside of being just an executive producer, he hasn't written it, he hasn't directed it, he has no role in it, no cameo, nothing whatsoever. And in fact, Michael B. Jordan put a, a statement of his own out on, on social media today where he called this, you know, his most, most personal project ever. This is his directorial debut. So not only is he, you know, acting in it, not only is he the lead, the, the titular character, but he's also making his directorial debut. And considering, considering who he's worked with, the Ryan yeah. Cooglies of the world and Stallone himself, not only should there be pressure on his shoulders, but I feel like this is something that not just the fight community, but movie goes in general, should have, you know, something to really look forward to. Also, they are taking this away from the traditional Thanksgiving drop in terms of release and they've moved it to March so I wonder how it may perform in a different time of year compared to the previous Creed and Rocky movies as well
0: yeah especially because March isn't really known to be franchise friendly right mm. it's, so, it's so much around the, the time of the year when everyone's thinking about the award season and or even like coming off the hangover of award season so yeah. your, your expectation is so high I always feel like March is a weird little awkward space in the year as well yeah but on top of that like what you mentioned with like his directorial debut and this being a lot of pressure for that I think it's even more so pressure just on him because you kind of see what happened with Stallone and he had a solid directorial run but then it just kind of fizzled out you know like he never had staying power as a director I wonder if this is going to be something that helps Michael B. Jordan have like a long footprint in the industry more than just being an actor being yeah. like you know a creator in general and being more of a contributor overall uh, it's interesting to see like yeah like you mentioned all the fantastic creators he's worked with and to see how he can channel that into yeah. being as good as he can get and and think of like the the guys like Ryan Kugler who have not only been massively praised for like on a critical level but on a commercial level they're as successful as you can be and, and obviously with Black Panther 2 coming out I don't know like, how do you live up to expectations like this you must have like internal expectations that are crazy right
1: now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you should, especially because, like I said, Creed 2 was a bit of a dip in form given how amazing Creed was. Also, Ryan Coogler involved in that particular project. Uh, But who knows? Maybe the X Factor here isn't got anything to do with Michael B. Jordan. The fact that he's in it, it's the third movie and it's his directorial debut. Maybe this is all about Jonathan Majors because he's about to have a saying Jonathan Majors is
0: about to go over.
1: Maybe, (laughs) right? Because he's not playing a character... That's the son of someone or anything like that. This is a brand new opponent. As far as we know. As far as we know, as we're currently recording this. But, uh, you know, the fact that this guy is about to go on this crazy run over the next handful of months where he's going to be in Quantum Mania, yeah. he's going to be in the Creed movie, mm-hmm. and I guess both roles are going to showcase completely different sides of his ability, both from a physical standpoint, a more serious movie or something, obviously, in the MCU, yeah, which is serious in its lie. own different way as well.
0: I'll be at Mickey's gym tomorrow. I don't go there. I haven't been there in a long time. Since we're pretty much like family, who won the third fight? He did. The next thing I wanna talk about is kind of all this massive DC news that just came out. The first thing is maybe something we've been hearing about for weeks and weeks and years and years. And it just feels like it comes up and then goes away and comes up and goes away. And now the Hollywood Reporter is saying that the new Superman movie with Henry Cavill is in the works and essentially it's gonna be Man of Steel too. Mm-hmm. So first off, like this will be the first piece of DC information that we're getting into. But first, your, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So I saw a lot of chatter online today And it seems like from the outside looking in, when it comes to Warner Brothers Discovery and I guess their handling, for lack of a better word, of the DCEU property, it feels like it's a bit of a free-for-all at the moment. Mm. It's like who can get sign-off and who can kind of have those kind of conversations. And I feel like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, has been very influential in terms of keeping Henry Cavill on board because he Mm. wants to do his... Black Adam vs. Superman movie and he wants that Superman and movie. And I want that Cavill. too.
0: Low-key, I kind of sure. do because like if you're talking about a guy who should be booked opposite of The Rock in like a major franchise like that, Henry Cavill just looks the part. Right. You know what I mean? And it's funny because like The Rock is like the biggest star in the world and Superman is like the biggest character in pop culture history maybe. Right. Besides yeah. like Jesus. Like literally nobody <laughs> yeah. else is more famous than Superman. So to see those two kind of go head-to-head, that's actually like a very interesting place for dc to go even though like you know we've been talking about it forever and we're like dude we just want some direction for dc yeah. and this feels like the opposite of that
1: but, but to answer your question initially man of steel too. i actually had a lot of time for man of steel and i still think it's probably one of the more better movies we've had from the EU over the last like 10 years i just did not enjoy or, or like the handling of the Clark Kent slash Superman character played by Henry Cavill post Man of Steel in all the other movies. And so can they kind of bring it back? Can he still do something with the character? Can they figure it out? I mean, I'm going to do the same thing. I say the same thing I've said for every time we discuss the DCEU. It's like I'm going in there with very, very low expectations. If they can wow me and impress me, God bless them. I I think Superman probably has a very good sense of humor. (laughs) I never heard him say anything really funny. But it's common sense. He's got super strength, super speed. I'm sure he's got super humor. I didn't think that joke. Either you're born with a sense of humor or you're not. It's not going to change. Even if you go from the red sun of Krypton all the way to the yellow
0: sun of the earth. Well, just a heads up, uh, if you've been listening to this and you just noticed a big dip in the audio, we just realized that halfway through. So, you know, roll with us. All right. It is what it is. Yeah, my Uh, bad.
1: That's all my fault there, by the way. (laughs) It's
0: all good. It's all good. But all right. So next story, Uh, we were talking about DC and everything that's been changing there my favorite part of dc i mean just as far as like creatively like the thing that gets me more excited about dc than anything has been the involvement of james gunn mm-hmm. and yes i love the suicide squad i love peacemaker and we're getting a new peacemaker season uh relatively soon but on top of that james gunn is reportedly developing a new mystery dc film apparently he's going to focus on peacemaker 2 but all these projects we were talking about are kind of in their early gestation period so yeah how excited argue that like whatever we're getting from James Gunn we know it's going to be weird Yeah, we know it's going to be new we know it's going to come from left field we don't know what it's going to be but whatever it is I know it's going to be fun
1: you know what I'd love to see James Gunn do is take the lead on the Justice League movie because we know he can do a really great job with an ensemble cast but not just play with the traditional Justice League characters that we've you know, grown to know. It's like, get the players involved from Peacemaker and like all the maybe smaller characters, both from like the heroic side and the villain side. Uh, and I want them to play
0: with that, that world. The only way I would want to see that is if they did like a fun movie where it was, you know, Suicide Squad versus Justice League. Yes, like give me that. If they did something like that, I'd be down with that. But right. I can't imagine DC leaving James Gunn to like whatever creative devices he wants to go for and whatever Mm -hmm. dumb ideas he might have that end up working out tremendously I don't think they let Superman do that I don't think they let Batman do that I don't think they let any of their major characters get involved in his kind of shenanigans
1: what if what if they gave him black uh, black Adam versus Superman and we had a third so it's almost like a triple threat Right? It's Black Adam, it's Superman, and then Peacemaker's in there as well. That way, oh, you can play off on the rock yes. John Cena angle.
0: <laughs> and, I, and, we you that,
1: imagine? and we know that James Gunn's a massive pro wrestling fan. Could, I, I, I get it,
0: but there's no way <laughs> that DC would be like, you know, we should go off those WWE fans real hard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as far as the next story goes, a crazy rumor that came out recently was that Sasha Baron Cohen was going to play Mephisto yeah. we've been talking about for literally since the inception of this podcast we've been talking about goddamn mephisto and apparently the mcu is finally going to see him in the ironheart series as an introduction apparently uh not to say that he's going to be playing a major part but apparently this is the first time we're going to see any actual reveal of mephisto in that series and it's going to be played by sasha burton cohen is that confirmed or is that still a rumor still a rumor okay so i don't think confirmed that i don't think they'll. yeah ever
1: i'll say this much about sasha baron cohen he is very much a character actor if you've seen the performances he's given in it's kind of like non-sasha baron cohen owned ip which is like ali g and bruno anything outside of those roles he goes in he goes in and he makes you forget that it's sasha baron cohen that's actually in these roles. And I know for the longest time, people were kind of thinking, oh, Keanu Reeves would be perfect in this kind of role. And we all thought that, right? And I think he was part of our fan casting as well though. Yeah. And I have to say that I'm actually down. Because yeah. I know that Sasha Baron Cohen would understand how serious people take this character, how important he would be in terms of a villain moving forward, and I think he'd do a really good job. And I, and more importantly, I think a lot of people would be willing to give him the chance if it was to be revealed that he was going to get that role.
0: My biggest thing is that I know that Sasha Baron Cohen is the kind of actor who's going to be able to be committed to a role for a very long time and develop and grow with that role Mm -hmm. so i think something like a mephisto character it's going to be so heavily scrutinized right from the start Mm. so i feel like he would be the kind of actor who would be able to kind of make adjustments and kind of make changes as you're kind of progressing whatever his story ends up being it's interesting that he's going to be a pretty major character going forward as well like if they're introducing like this he must be a big deal
1: But, but also just given i guess the general tone of the MCU, yes, he can go super villainous, but what if there are moments where it's gonna be a little bit lighthearted or a little bit comedic, you know, and if they're gonna play around with the, the the various tones of a villainous character, then at least he can give you
0: some range in that department too. Yeah, and that actually is a very exciting prospect as well because if Mephisto was just like a very serious character, I could imagine that being pretty corny. Right. You know what I mean? Like I can imagine that being pretty whatever, but I, I think, the idea of adding the possibility of humor and the possibility of somebody kind of playing a broad range of different sides of Mephisto. I think that's more, that sounds like way more fun to me. I agree. I agree. Uh, last story I want to talk about, actually it's a two-parter. So first thing is, uh, there's going to be a new series adaptation of gangs of New York, and that's officially in development. On top of that, Martin Scorsese is going to direct and produce the first two episodes. That's crazy. We never hear of him being attached to really anything in tv like especially if it's anything more than producing wow so i, I can't even imagine how much uh miramax is going to be putting into this franchise
1: you know gangs of new york is a funny one like i remember there was so much hype around when it was initially released and i remember watching it in the theater and i left thinking eh, that was all right but it never really, really kind of um stuck with me as like an amazing, incredible movie, an all-time classic or anything like that. And what's funny is I've been speaking to my wife about watching Gangs of New York for the last couple of years, just because I haven't watched it for a very long time. And for one reason or another, we just haven't got around to re-watching it again. So the fact that they're getting, uh, you know, they're producing a series is very, very interesting. And to be honest with you, looking back and from what I remember of the movie, perhaps an episodic series is where you know a story like this may have better legs and you know you are able to maybe tell you know more interesting smaller stories in amongst uh, the major arc of the, ho- the 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 full story there so yeah that's a very interesting one actually
0: it's really interesting to me because number one i have always been more interested in the idea of games in new york because the cast is stellar Right. right. Leonardo DiCaprio and Daniel Day Lewis, like Charlie Theron Yeah. When are you gonna be able to see like a combination like that ever again? Right. Yeah. Like and uh to think that I, I would have to assume that neither of those actors are gonna be involved. So I, I I kind of agree with you. It's not the kind of movie that I've gone back and watched over and over. So I, I don't know how I feel about that as far as the story that they're going with, but mm-hmm. I also trust Martin Scorsese's like sensibilities to be like Yeah, listen, I'm so into this series that I'll direct two episodes. That makes me go, okay, cool, it must be good. All right, at least least at the very least.
1: uh, uh, Yeah, exactly. You know what? And at the very least, at least we're going to be committed to the first two episodes because it's going to be directed by Martin Scorsese.
0: Exactly. They got two shots and they have three shots to impress us. Once we get to that third episode and if it's good or trash, that's going to be the biggest decider of whether we continue. Yeah. But yeah, uh, last story, actually kind of just pertaining to what I was just talking about. A really interesting quote that Martin Scorsese had talking about the box office and people's obsession with like the money behind Hollywood, right? He says Mm. it's repulsive and insulting. He said, cinema is devalued, demeaned, belittled from all sides not necessarily the business side but certainly the art since the 80s there's been a focus on numbers it's kind of repulsive i can't fucking agree with a statement that's ever been made about modern cinema more yeah how much do we like and listen we're we're a problem we're a part of this problem because we talk about fucking box office success all the time right and like that's such a it's weird because we're pro wrestling fans and like part of the pro wrestling conversation is always what are the ratings? What who the fuck cares what the ratings are? Or who the fuck cares what the box office numbers are if I'm enjoying it? I've always like had that thought process, but I know I'm part of the problem. So yeah, I feel like we could talk about this for like an hour, but like yeah, I, I don't want to get your thoughts on it.
1: No, I get it. And again, we could talk about this for an hour. Maybe one day in the future it'll be like the entire conversation for a podcast. But yeah. ultimately, my kind of quick thoughts are yes, I agree. Number one. Number two, we have to always remember that this is a business and the way studios are able to operate and give directors more opportunities and other opportunities is if there's a proven track record of either a filmmaker producing hits or a certain actor being attached that is a box office draw and or if it's ip that is interesting like oh it's a superman movie oh cool we know there's a fan base out there that would actually you know come out for opening weekend you can take this all the way back to movies like jaws you know and anything that was adapted uh, from a novel or a series or like the godfather or anything like that right I totally understand where he's coming from. And it may just be that the vast majority of the players involved in the business come more so from a, oh, you know, uh, I'm here to make a commercial franchise or be a franchise player, whereas Scorsese and a lot of the filmmakers he came up with were just looking to make the best movies possible. And the thing about Scorsese is he himself is a draw. And this is the thing. It's like the reason he's able to do what he wants to do and the reason he's able to literally make as many movies as he wants or what kind of movies he wants to or literally get any actor involved who wants to work with Martin Scorsese is his whole run has been about making the best cinema possible. Right. And unfortunately for you know the vast majority of other filmmakers out there, they are just not Martin Scorsese. So he himself is like in his in his own tier. And I can understand where his mindset is there because he sees he doesn't see a hundred others out there that are like himself and that produce the kind of movies and have the kind of same mentality that he does as well
0: my thought process is like on one side you see all right martin scorsese is from an era where you can you know develop a fan base because of how incredible your movies are and like actually build a fan base because people value your art and i would think that's like because it feels like that's something that's like a foregone idea like people don't just become successful now because of how good their movies are But then there's our, like, if if Martin Scorsese is this exception to the rule, as far as, like, historically and where he is in film right now, I could look at a guy like Jordan Peele, and he feels like another exception, and he's a modern filmmaker, and he's doing something similar, where he's making all these original films. He's doing kind of whatever he wants creatively, and it's working for him, and he's become the draw as well. So it's not to say that nobody can do this kind of thing, but I more so understand his point that, like, the conversation around how good a movie is no matter what a part of that is how much money did it make because mm-hmm. if that isn't a, a success in itself like it doesn't matter how good the movie is because even if the movie was amazing like we just talked about triangle of sadness last week one of the best movies i've seen in like the past couple of years yeah but i haven't heard of anything in terms of how much it's made i have told so many people to watch it and i I don't know i just don't hear any like buzz about it i didn't even hear anybody talk to me about how they've watched it or anything like that it's just it feels like a movie that's that good should be like building up like you know, word of mouth, slowly, slowly. And I understand that it's still early. It hasn't hit like award season yet. Maybe it'll have its own second run at that point. But it's unfortunate that movies are released at this part of the year because they just want a shot that maybe people will like it and maybe it'll be nominated for an Oscar and then it'll make money.
1: It's why when everything everywhere all at once was continuously making money and it kind of has made so much money slowly incrementally throughout the whole year has been such a success story and we were so happy for that run and it really happens that's a part of it right like think about
0: how happy we were like oh my god everything everywhere all at once made a hundred million dollars it was a great movie from the jump and it's weird that like we feel like this connection to the movie more so because it made so much money yeah it's a weird thing. And I, 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 it's odd that I completely understand Martin Scorsese's point. But on the other side, like obviously it's a business and I totally understand that. And I, I get that this is what has to happen. I, I do think on the third side where just as fans, I just wish like the discourse was a little bit less about like, oh, how much financial success are these people having? Like, I just don't care about that as much because it's less important to me. I'm not making, none of that money's coming to me. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't care about it. I I want to see the best movie I could possibly see.
1: It also comes down to the studios, right? It's like, yes, they want to make money, but who are they allocating these opportunities to? Like, for example, did they say, Hey, Michael Bay, come make the new Batman movie. Or did they go, Hey, Matt Reeves, come make the new Batman movie. You know, they went with Matt Reeves and you could just tell that when when there's a quality filmmaker there that is so passionate about the project, you get the goods. Um, whereas someone like uh, Michael Bay, he's making five Transformers movies and they just churn and burn, copy, paste, and they do what they you know, say on the tin. They get released every July 4th weekend. They make a big splash on a hoo-ha, a bunch of explosions, fireworks, and then they make some money. Same thing with the Fast and Furious franchise.
0: But then on top of that, isn't the conversation also that like, why does Matt Reeves have to make a Batman movie for that to, that to happen? Like if this yeah. was like the exact same story and it was an original story and he had put out just everything that was non-Batman IP... In yeah. that movie And it had like a similar effect And a similar kind of critical response That movie would have made Like a tenth of what the Batman made
1: Look at Christopher Nolan Right He made a bunch of You know I guess personal movies Pre-Batman Made the Dark Knight for A franchise yeah. And then post-Dark Knight Look at look at the kind of movies He's been making You know And yeah. not all of them Have been these big Fantastic commercial successes But the vast majority of them Have been very
0: well Received critically um, and, yeah, you're right. And he's able to do that because he did his Batman movies. You know and he's like right?
1: a Martin Scorsese in a way oh, yeah. where the, the director's name alone is enough to warrant you buying a ticket and watch the movie on opening weekend.
0: How do you view Christopher Nolan in that way? Do you view that he is as successful as he is because of how good his movies are? It, or is that is there a big asterisk? Not to say like, obviously, there's an asterisk in terms of quality. It's one of the best filmmakers of our generation. Sure. But, uh, is there an asterisk that says like he's successful because of Batman? Because I feel like that's going to be a thing. You know, what I mean, like Matt Reeves. Wow. What a success. Batman, uh, whatever you're making, like superhero film or mm. whatever franchise, is that the thing that makes you a star? Or could this have happened uh, independently? Like does that have to be a defining factor of his success?
1: I think it depends when you started writing with him. Right. Like for me, I st- uh, my first Nolan movie was Memento. And I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Like he, and this is like when I watched uh, Reservoir Dogs for the first time, I'm like, oh my God, Tarantino. I'm watching everything you make forever. I don't care what it is. Yeah. It could be yeah. a small movie, a big movie, a, a whatever you want to do. And again, remember, and we've spoken about this before, you know, Quinn Tarantino almost made his comic book movie with Luke Cage, yeah. right? Back in the day. So anything could have happened.
0: The interesting thing is like, obviously Tarantino is an interesting case because he never did. He never did. Right? It. He he never did end up doing that big Like franchise besides like Kill Bill, but like that's his his, that's his franchise. He made that from scratch, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting to see like obviously Chris Nolan is somebody who is tremendous. Even his earlier films are incredible. Yeah. But as far as legacy goes, do you think that this is like do you think like Batman is an essential part of that? Like, is there a way to have a conversation about Chris Nolan without mentioning a major franchise?
1: Well, first of all, The Dark Knight is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. A B, one of the best movies whether it's comic book or not, period, right? And, and he helped revitalize that entire character post what Joel Schumacher did with the Batman movies and the Batman character. Yeah. And I think if you don't want to include that, it's, it's almost dismissing how good and how great comic book movies could be regardless of whether you know you want to rate a filmmaker or not. I feel like that adds value to what he's been able to do with his career rather than you know, just dismiss it and say, oh, he's a, a fantastic filmmaker. But I think he's a fantastic filmmaker with that franchise and without that commercial run with the studio. And don't forget Christopher Nolan was one of the first people to really speak out about the studios um, during the pandemic when he was like, well, hang on a second. If you're not going to know release my movies in the theater or in IMAX and what have you and you're just gonna throw it onto a, a streaming platform then screw you and um so you have to understand where his mindset is in terms of working with studios and what he wants to do as a filmmaker too
0: yeah it's interesting that's actually a really really great point because it's not to say that if you do make a great comic book movie that should devalue that part of your legacy mm-hmm. or, or devalue your entire legacy because you you know, participated in a franchise or something like that. So in that case, like conversely, like do you think when you make a big Hollywood franchise, do you think you just become susceptible to like needing some sort of validation in terms of commercial success? Cause let's say, for example, the Russo brothers, right? Made some of the most successful comic book movies of all time. Obviously, massive comic book fans. Most recently they released The Gray Man, and that was okay. It didn't do that well. Like it it was kind of really the number one movie on Netflix for like a week. And then it kind of just fell into obscurity. And it's, I think it's still the most expensive movie that Netflix has made yet. So is is that to say that like, you know, regardless of what your legacy ends up being, if the comic movie is the defining factor, that could be one thing, but to say that, you know, everything else is going to matter, period, mm. because that's just going to be one part of it. Yeah. But it also, it it leaves you with like this weird... Need to be successful financially, right? Like the Russo brothers, if they don't succeed, that's why they probably did a movie with Netflix. Because they're like, fuck it. I don't want this. I don't just don't want this pressure of having to deliver the most successful movie of all time again.
1: And also don't forget one of Martin Scorsese's best friends and colleagues and peers and Francis Ford Coppola made one of the Greatest and most successful franchises of all time in the Godfather trilogy sure. that was based on a best-selling global best-selling number one New York seller best-selling book, yeah. right by Mario Puzo. Now that wasn't a comic book movie, but it was a franchise, yeah. right?
0: In, in the seventies, that's like probably the equivalent of a comic book movie, right? Like what exactly. else is there?
1: Exactly. <laughs> and um yeah. and they then after that they actually had Mario Puzo, um help write the the first draft uh, for the Superman movie that yeah, Richard Donner yeah, yeah. made.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this conversation kind of continues because I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be the last time we talk about and we talk about this all the time, but the idea yeah. of like the, how the box office kind of affects the artistic perception of movies. Like, yeah, I feel like we should put a pin in this and we'll get back to it because it's Absolutely. 100% to be something we're going to talk about a million times. Anyone got an accordion? All right, gentlemen, let's talk about two movies that we were going to talk about from TIFF, all right? Mm-hmm. So first one was going to be Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Mm-hmm. This is going to be an interesting one because yeah. usually, okay, number one, this movie is going to be coming out on Roku and it is kind of a weird departure for Daniel Radcliffe. It's interesting because, you know, you assume when... An actor like that gets a role where they get to portray a real person they get to do a biopic mm-hmm. and it's always like all right well this is going to be a really important role for that person and their career and it's going to be like let's see where like what opportunities come out of this thing you know right, yeah when when uh somebody's portraying Stephen Hawking all right what's next like this is uh the, let's see what Boz Luhrmann uh does with Austin Butler for Elvis this is not that movie yeah this is and, and,
1: not that movie and hasn't and hasn't it felt like that from the minute the movie was announced no one ever expected a biopic of Al Yankovic let alone to have Mr. Harry Potter himself be yeah. the actual you know lead cast member of, of that movie
0: it's an interesting one because it's not a traditional biopic I'll tell you that right off the top it's it's a parody of a biopic. Yeah. And what else should a weird Al movie be? Yeah, in that essence, it's actually perfect. Yeah. The amount of people that are in this movie and are part of this... Essentially, like, what should be a tiny fucking movie. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like that to me. Right, It never felt cheap. It never felt like a made-for-TV movie or something like that. It felt like a... I, I'm glad I watched the in theaters in the sense that, like, it, was, it felt like a bigger movie. And... It was the
1: opening night premiere yeah. at the Toronto International Film Festival, which yeah. is where we were lucky enough or fortunate enough to watch this.
0: Exactly. And it it felt like a fun experience. It felt like people that were there had such a fun time. Mm. Because at the end of the day, the the one thing I take away from this movie is it's so goddamn over the top. Yeah. They thought of what okay, what can we do to make the weirdest version of this movie ever? Mm. Right? And and the best part about it is they didn't even stop there. They just kept going they took that ball and kept running it all the way past the end zone. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, I appreciate mostly that Weird Al doesn't take himself seriously at all. And yeah. I mean that in the best way. Obviously, if you're a fan of Weird Al, you know this already.
1: Yeah, when you start looking at all the content that he's done, you know, throughout his entire career, you know, you got to give credit to at least be unique, stand out, almost carve out your own niche. And it's wild to think where he could have been, what he could have become... Had he done something like that in the age of social media? If he had tried yeah. to do something like that in say the last five, six, seven years, would he have been the next TikTok star, Instagram star? Like, I don't know, right? Yeah,
0: it's interesting. That's a great point because, like, genuinely, if Weird Al existed today, there's no way he's a movie star. I don't think. Right, right. He ends up on YouTube. Yeah, right. He's 100% a YouTuber. It's un- like it's almost unfortunate because. Listen, at the end of the day, like, I, I appreciate platforms like YouTube and social media and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But there's, like, something about ending up on, like, MTV. Right. Right? Like, nobody is going to have, like, that validation of, like... And I get it. Like, you know, you do, like it's being validated by, like, mainstream platforms and why do you need that? But at the same time, it's like, yo, it's cool to end up on TV. And this guy got to, like, comp- not only end up on TV, but end up with, like, platinum records. Yeah. Because of that. That's the wild thing. Before social media the only way to consume any
1: Weird Al content was either buying the record or waiting for the music video to drop on MTV. And it's almost like the perfect time frame when music videos still meant something. Like I can't remember the last time I went out of my way to watch a music video, let alone watch a music video on my TV. Mm -hmm. If I'm watching a music video now, I'm watching it on my phone or my laptop, right? Back in the day, a premiere music video was such a big deal. Now I'm not saying he had the anticipation of a Michael Jackson music video drop on MTV. That was not the case. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the run that he had, like, who is he going to parody next? Yeah, 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 that was his gimmick, and that was enough for people to get hooked into. Our like, what's Weird Al going to do next? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And that's like the whole premise of this entire movie. Right, right. It's they don't get bogged down in like, oh well, let's try to make this feel like a very important biopic. Yeah, or I know it's stupid, but like, <laughs> get bogged down in like. Portrayals of like accurate performances of who they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't worry about that. Yeah. This is a fun movie. Yeah. Right. And I think that's really what they tried to get across and they accomplished it in spades. Right. Like when we talk about like even the performance of a guy like Daniel Radcliffe, who is becoming this tremendous actor, like I don't think Daniel Radcliffe is like showing like he, he is showing like this weird range. Right. Like it's he's not like a traditional actor. It's a very mm-hmm. interesting pocket that he's found himself in. Yeah. Because who else can say they portrayed anything like Swiss Army Man or Guns Akimbo or now this, right? Who even comes close to like coming with that kind of resume? I have no clue. You know what's crazy? So recently um, Alan
1: Rickman's uh, posthumous diary Mm -hmm. um, has been released and published by a few outlets. And there was an excerpt um, from the set or some of his time spent with Daniel when they were filming Harry Potter. And Alan Rickman essentially said he wasn't kind of like, and I'm kind of paraphrasing him, he wasn't sure if Daniel was really serious about being an actor, Yeah, right? Which is wild, because obviously, you know, Daniel was like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, (laughs) you know, growing up as a teenager making these um, Harry Potter movies. Yeah, I would love to know what Alan Rickman would think of Daniel Radcliffe now, just purely given the chances he's been taking yeah. on himself, uh-huh. the the positions he's been putting himself in, the projects he's been aligning himself with post-Harry Potter.
0: Absolutely. And you know what? The one thing I can say about Daniel Radcliffe is, like, I commend him for this. Mm-hmm. I commend him for all his choices. Even I saw, like, a romantic comedy that he did on Netflix. And it was, it was like, a fun movie, too. Like, this guy takes swings that nobody else is taking Mm -hmm. right like what other character would be like you know what i'm gonna be a dead body for an entire movie right right and it's not in a weekend at bernie's fun blah, blah like none of that like he's actually doing a performance that's fantastic but it completely in its own lane none of these performances that he chooses feel like he's oscar bait or trying to get validation from like box office or anything like that. What's interesting about this whole move is on Daniel's side, he's
1: the one that's taking chances on projects. But on the side of the project, whether you're the production house, the theatre company, oh yo, we just got Daniel Radcliffe. That's Mm -hmm. a huge signing. It's a huge win for them because they know... Bottom line, they're going to get press. Yeah, they're going to get
0: PR. They're going to get eyeballs because there's they, a whole generation that just grew up on him. That
1: are cult fans. Yeah. They'll watch anything Daniel Radcliffe is a part of. Yeah,
0: uh, and given you, I, I, as a Harry Potter fan, I want this guy to succeed. Right, you know what I mean? Like, I'm pulling for him. I'm pulling for Emma Watson. I'm pulling for Rupert Grant. Like I want them always to succeed. Yeah, because I grew up with them. Right, like they were the same age that I was when like they're portraying these Harry Potter characters
1: and kind of going back to what I was saying earlier on about you know acting ability this guy's still very young Mm -hmm. he hasn't even hit the prime of what you know other actors would consider like their best work I feel like he's still figuring himself out most of the actors that kind of emerge as kind of players in their field don't really kind of get to that stage until they're in their 30s. yeah. And this guy is still kind of like almost, you can see almost the development. Like, yeah. you know, he's getting more comfortable in his own skin when it comes to taking on chances like he does in Weird Al.
0: It's funny because we're going to talk about other actors later on the show. And I'm just so curious to see how like the dynamic of how we compare them because mm-hmm. it, it just is going to happen. Yeah. But the fun thing that the, the Weird Al story kind of like plays off is probably like just a little bit of truth mixed in like this wild story that they made up yeah right like his relationship with fame is something that he talks about in like this contentious way but he talks about it in a way that's like he's making fun of it yeah right he's making fun of the idea of being like super famous and losing yourself to fame and all that kind of stuff but a part of that has to be true yeah right like even his relationship with like his dad like they talk about how like his dad is so over the top and overbearing and they played up so so much but there seems like a hint of truth is in there somewhere right, right. like all these things that they they show that there's definitely gonna be like a hint of truth. And I think that's why it comes off as really, really funny because it comes off from a place that feels genuine. Mm. And then on top of that, they just make it as weird as possible. Yeah, it's almost
1: like 10% truth, 90% just do whatever you want to do, go in whatever direction you want to go in. Yeah. One thing I have to say, by the way, I didn't expect this Daniel Radcliffe is in shape is this in guy shape. is ripped off. I don't think I've ever seen him in such great condition he, it's almost like he's readying himself for the action movie coming down the road you that's know what I mean that's so funny
0: and, and the, the funny thing is like that's probably the least accurate part of the movie like yeah. there's no weird Al, there's no way weird Al is Jack exactly it's not true Like, no. that is a parody of it in itself but My favorite part of what relationship he portrayed and they like really danced around it and tried to figure out how can we address this in a way that makes sense that we can actually talk about in the movie. But also it like touched on real life topics that like they kind of don't want to exactly touch. And that was the Michael Jackson of it all. Your first big hit was Eat It. That could very well be, yeah. The the the, the Beat It parody. and uh, That one, yeah. Yes, yeah, that one. Thanks for distinguishing that one. No, oh, I have yeah. to, you know. Um, and that changed your life. Because you had been doing song parodies before that, but when you came out with the Eat It song, that bumped you up like 10 levels. That, that, was, right? that was big. I mean, before Eat It came out, I was basically this... Uh, Faceless jerk from LA that made silly songs, and after after Eat It, I was a very well known jerk from LA that made silly songs. Right. right. Like, obviously, uh, Beat It comes out. He makes Eat It, and it's like his biggest parody ever. Right. But they made the whole movie about how Michael Jackson stole Beat It from Eat It. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> so good, right? So good. Yeah. Like to, to, to flip that on his head, and then be like, you know what? That's like the best. Fuck you, to like anybody, like. That would, like, try to mess with, oh, well, why are you making Michael Jackson feel like an important figure in your movie and blah, 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 and glorifying this... uh, blah. You could do, like, a lot of stuff, but they perfectly played that.
1: Yeah, that was probably the most entertaining part of the movie for me. That Mm. whole Michael Jackson kind of, like, part of the story.
0: And just, like, cameos in general. I thought the cameos were so much fun. Which was your favourite, by the way? For me, listen, I'll I'll be honest. Like, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show, but... Uh, I am a massive Conan O'Brien mark. Right, I think that he's one of the funniest people of all time. Uh-huh. Right, so when I saw Conan O'Brien portraying Andy Warhol, I lost it. <laughs> I lost it. I think that guy is so. He just had like has a direct connection to my funny bone. Like right. he just totally gets me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. That whole scene I thought was like so funny. Not only do we get like cameos from everybody in the world, Jack Black and every other person, but seeing him was fantastic what about yourself you know what
1: I wouldn't classify this so much as a cameo more so this is actually quite a meaty role as we kind of get towards the end of the movie as well but I really enjoyed Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of hers from a show called Westworld um, which has been running for the last couple of years now and man to see her kind of take a massive departure away from a show like Westworld which is about the future and you're a a robot and uh, it's all about AI and I've never seen her actually in a performance like this in a role like this where it's portraying a real life person but having so much fun with herself
0: yeah absolutely and her performance is fantastic and it's crazy how she becomes like this odd villain in the movie and they play it perfectly but on top of that this movie suddenly turns into John Wick (laughs) <laughs> that was the weirdest thing in the world for me. It was like, wait, what am I watching right now? It's set in the eighties. Let's turn this into an eighties action movie. Yeah, perfect. I, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Like the way they just randomly turned on these brutal fight scenes was great. Yeah, like that is, I, I was like, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. It makes mm. no sense, which makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, listen. Obviously, best character is an easy one. Best scene. I feel like we talked about that a little bit. But as far as star rating goes what would you give this movie? Five being the best, zero being the worst. Where does this one movie kind of end up for you? Sure. So it landed on 2.75. I thought it was okay. I got a couple
1: of laughs, no real belly laugh moments for me. But I'm going to say I'm giving it a 2.75 with a bit of a caveat. I feel like this is going to be a much more enjoyable experience and a much more fun experience. A, watching it at home, but maybe watching it a second time from from at home. Mm. I feel like... If we're just hanging out and I'm like, yo, we're just going to like hit the pen <laughs> and throw on this movie. We
0: might have a better time with it than I personally did watching it in the theater. Absolutely. I think uh, I gave this movie a 2.5. Okay. I think the fun thing about it is that I-, I like that despite everything, despite being so over the top, it really did try to have like heart. You know what I mean? Try to have a message in the movie. Yeah. But I actually am really happy that we watched it in the theater Mm. because I think just having other people around just to acknowledge how weird it was and, like, kind of share that experience to be like, wait, what are we watching right now? like, it felt like everyone was, like, kind of collectively just, like, figuring out by themselves to be like, oh, this is all just a joke. By the way, now that we are at the
1: other end of our kind of experience at TIFF and it's been quite a while since we, you know, enjoyed that process of going to the festival doesn't it feel like almost like an out of place kind of movie to be selected given everything oh else we God. watch but also I I also understand it from a festival perspective of we're gonna be the worldwide premiere of this movie starring Daniel Radcliffe this is a great way to get a lot of press and PR to
0: open the, the whole festival you know on top of that I think what it does for a festival is that it gives it a different flavor yeah as well. because like listen at the end of the day if we have Triangle of Sadness Biosphere uh, Empire of Light all those are amazing movies but, like, you got to balance it out a little bit. Because, yeah. like, if I was watching just all those movies all day, I'm sure the effect of those movies would, like, waver a little bit. For sure. Every once in a while, if we mix up a Weird Al or a My Policeman, yeah. it it helps, like, you know, clear your palate a little bit and, like, sure. get a different taste of something else. You're not going
1: to get a five-star movie every time you walk into the theater. Exactly. It, it is what it is, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. And, and I think, like, this is, like, a great... Because I don't need a five-star movie every single time. Yeah. But I like, like, comedies. I like to, like break the tension sometimes and just enjoy my weekend or by enjoy my afternoon
1: by the way it's Roku so again going back to the whole streaming platforms right now are trying to take chances yeah. what IP what script what story can they own who can they get involved and attached to these projects Yeah.
0: and speaking of streaming services uh, another movie that we're going to be talking about right now is uh, My Policeman so how does it make you feel
1: you can sense the waves you know how strong they are like swimming in rough surf. You feel they could crush you or take you under. You just have to let it take hold of you.
0: First off, gentlemen, uh, this is going to be a little bit different because I feel like we're not going to have the same kind of thought process as something like Weird Al. This is a movie that takes itself very seriously. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, I don't know who this movie's for. Right. Who is this movie for? It's a period piece. Mm hmm. I can appreciate the portrayal and the struggle of being queer during this time. Yeah. I get that. It, it basically has like a a small part that feels like a it, it's like an important part of like history to tell. Mm. But then like beyond that, it doesn't feel like the portrayal feels like relevant to anybody. Like when we watch something like Bros, that is a movie that felt like, all right, cool. Like I'm gaining information from this and I'm laughing. I'm enjoying this experience. This movie felt like... All right, is this made for Harry Styles fans or people who want to see, like, comfortable portrayals of queerness? Because it just didn't feel like a movie that does anything for anybody besides, like, anybody who's there to specifically see Harry Styles. You know how sometimes there's a a really popular novel that gets
1: kind of bought and it's going to be adapted into a movie or a TV show? Yeah. Most of the time, people are like, oh, you know what? The novel was better. The, The book was better. Yeah. I, I haven't read the book. I can tell you right now, I am very, very confident that the book is a million times better than this movie.
0: It must be. Because, it has to be. Yeah, I feel like the funny thing is when we talked about bros, we uh, talked about a quote that uh, Billy Eichner had said during a and a And he said that what they tried to do is not make a movie that was just uh, what straight people are comfortable seeing on screen from gay people. This felt like that. Mm. This feel like something where like, all right, people are very comfortable seeing this gay per- portrayal. And it's like, yeah, like, well, I don't know, like, I I don't know, like, it never at any point felt like there was something that they actually gave me that I could, like, take away from this movie. It's so surface level. It f- felt very much like a made-for-TV movie there's just not much there there isn't a story there's nothing right like it's like okay i'm gonna be cheating on my wife
1: i'm gonna be hiding the fact that i'm gay she finds out about it and it's like all right now we're kind of just dealing with the consequences of you know what we went through 25 30 years later
0: yeah that's it yeah (laughs) that's basically it you know what's crazy too speaking of performances i did see like um Harry Styles is getting, like, some Oscar buzz for this performance.
1: No way. Can you believe that? Are you
0: serious? I mean, listen, that's what you hear from, like, media and stuff like that. But, like, I genuinely don't see it. I, I think... I don't even think he has the best performance in the movie. I think he has the third best performance in the movie.
1: Harry Styles, his performance, in my opinion, lets down his cast members. And in my opinion, I think it's hard to follow his journey when you're not emotionally invested in the lead character. And for me, the buck stops with the actor here. I was honestly rooting for this movie to end as soon as possible because (laughs) while it wasn't you know the absolute worst movie we saw at uh, at TIFF it was definitely one of the weaker
0: ones and because I think think personally it was my weakest uh, movie at TIFF Better Than The Beer Run? Oh, never mind. I forgot it. I almost forgot The Greatest Beer the one. Greatest Beer Run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never mind. I, I expunged that from my brain entirely. Uh, if you uh, are confused, we'll never talk about that movie. We're never going to review it. We're never going to review My But it's horrible. Beer it's, it's, it's bad. It's fucking awful. Yeah. Yeah, t- yeah, you're 100% right. This is the second worst movie this, I this was. was. And
1: again, this movie is all about Harry Styles. He's yeah. playing the lead character. He's the most notable name. It's one of the situations where, look... He's a a singer, musical artist that is now doing the thing that we've seen a lot of musical artists do in the past, which is, all right, you know what? I'm going to act as well. I'm going to be an artist. Mm. I'm going to show that I can do it all, right? Then we get this little cameo at the end of Eternals, Mm. right, where he's going to be playing Thanos' brother. Yeah, wow, you're already in there in the MCU. You're working with Marvel. Oh my God, what's happening?
0: That felt like an automatic validation. You know what I mean? Like it made me think like, all right, cool. Like I can invest in this person. If as they an think actor. he's going to
1: be a guy exactly. and a player and they're going to make him Thanos' brother. Yeah. Wow, he must be good. He must have something about him. Yeah. And then you watch a movie like this and you're like, yo, uh... This guy needs some. He needs to do some work on his acting abilities because,
0: <laughs> yeah. yo, it's not good. I get it, like this, and obviously he's like early in his acting career. I understand that, but like we were going to talk about how, like, we just talked about uh, Daniel Radcliffe, right? right? And like somebody who actually did want to be a, be an actor right off the bat, yeah. right? And uh, he's got his reps, you know what I mean? Like Daniel Radcliffe has reps, and that guy takes swings and really tries to like push himself. This feels like almost someone. Behind the scenes is trying to make Harry Styles into the next massive actor, and I, I get it. You know, like Dunkirk, he's in there. He's got like a basically like a co-sign from like uh, Chris Nolan, and it's a cameo. Yeah, it's not a big role either, right? Regardless, like yeah, you, know, yeah. you get like a, you get like sure. that's essentially like a co-sign, right? Like you're sure. getting the massive validation from one of the greatest actors of our generation. Like that's huge. Yeah, but for 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 him to like, it feels like almost studio execs have like made a decision. Like we're gonna make this guy into a star whether you like it or not
1: and just to jump off a point you just made there about someone trying to like help navigate his career i i don't know whose idea this was whether it was harry that went all in or his agent or whoever i feel like they were like you know look at this role novel and this is a very demanding role mm. right for someone of i mean his- it should be demanding.
0: <laughs> yeah well- it should have been
1: demanding for for someone of his ability and his age and his experience in the acting world is is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah right that's a this is a big role for someone that doesn't have too much experience to kind of jump into and do it justice yeah yeah and it's and you can see that it's evident on screen like i'm not buying it but when he's on screen and he's in these scenes i'm just there's something about his performance that is lackluster in my opinion
0: okay this is what i'll say i i I don't want to make it seem like I'm just shitting on him because I don't think the movie was good. Right. Right. Yeah, everything's... I don't think the movie was good. Like, I think uh, Linus Roach as the older version of Tom, whatever. I think uh, Gina McKee as the older version of Marion, whatever. Russ Everett as the older version of Patrick, whatever. I think all the older characters are just, like, boring performances. If Mm. I saw that as, like, a UK episode of, like, a soap opera, I'd be like, this is so boring. Why are we watching this? And then... for the younger performances that is where I was a little bit more interested I was very Mm. interested I really did enjoy Patrick's I mean uh David Dawson as Patrick and Mm. I really enjoyed Emma Corrin as Marion as far as what they were given and what they had to
1: portray they were awesome and this is what I meant earlier on about Harry Styles letting his uh, co-stars down yeah because Emma and David I thought did a fantastic job and they're the only other two
0: actors that Harry Styles is working with in this movie and he's the weakest link yeah it felt like almost like a the whole movie just completely lacked color mm. at all. And, like, the only people that brought any sort of, like, uh, dynamic acting was uh, Emma Corrin and David Dawson. Like, they, yeah. they were the only... It felt like they were the only ones that, like, tried, yeah. if that makes any sense. Like, I agree. Other than that, even, like, the palette of the movie, the color palette, everything about it just felt so dull and boring and lifeless. Mm. And uh, I feel like I'm being a jerk. But as far as star ratings go, zero being the worst movie you've ever seen, five being the best... Where does my policeman end up for you?
1: I gave it a one point five. It's not really a movie I can recommend people go out of their way to watch. Mm-hmm. I guess if you're a big Harry Styles fan, you're only gonna you're gonna watch this regardless yeah. because it's Harry Styles. Um, I'm gonna be shocked and surprised if it gets buzzed during award season. They, they actually nominated like all uh, Apple- maybe for cinematography or some you know technical awards, but when it comes to story screen Apple TV submitted all of it. Well, you can submit. It's another thing getting the votes.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll be course. shocked if it gets the votes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I listen, I gave it a two. I You might like it. You might like it, but I doubt it. Right. I was disappointed, but not, like, appalled. Right. I just thought, like, I kind of walked away thinking, like, that was boring. Yeah. Right? And it's like, uh, that for me is almost, like, much worse than being, like, a really bad movie. At least with a really bad movie, I can enjoy that. I can make fun of it. Yeah, yeah, This yeah. was like, what is going... What, what am I supposed to be caring about right now? Literally, like I said before, I think with about 40 minutes to go I was like hurry up let's wrap <laughs> this let's up wrap this let's up. wrap this up let's, let's wrap this up yeah. but uh, alright so that's everything for this week as far as My Policeman as well as Weird let's get into our last segment of the show Let's Get Wrecked uh, can you hit me with Sandu's pick yeah for sure this week I am recommending
1: Dammer Monster the Jeffrey Dammer story on Netflix I have to say I don't think we've ever seen Evan Peters push himself in a role as he does in this performance of Jeffrey Dammer it's a controversial play by netflix but honestly it's become one of their biggest hits of 2022 Mm. i personally didn't know anything about jeffrey Dammer. my wife did how i don't know growing up in the uk i just just one of those stories and figures that wasn't in my kind of like um
0: experience of like knowing who he was it's kind of crazy because like i'm appalled that you don't know who a serial killer is but i guess serial killers shouldn't be famous no right (laughs) My wife did law, yeah. right? And so she actually studied
1: his case extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting watching the show with her. And uh, But like I said, I think for me, you know, uh, Evan Peters, who we obviously know from X-Men most notoriously, I have to say, it, he is just f- incredible in, the, in this show. And it's, you know, I think this is a level up moment for him. I think people only knew him from the X-Men movies, whereas now people are going to start to take him seriously as an actor. And I can't wait to see what kind of roles he gets post this show kind of going out there and getting viewed and getting kind of the critical claim he is specifically getting in this performance that's
0: awesome yeah i'm actually really excited to watch that but um for me listen we're talking about weird on this episode all right i thought what is the best stupid movie i've seen right and there's nothing dumber than steve martin in the jerk Mm -hmm. it's from 1979 it's so dumb But it's so brilliant at the same time. Like, Steve Martin is one of my favorite... He might be my favorite comedian of all time, right? It's just that he takes himself so not seriously, right? Like, when you watch some of his stand-up comedy, he wore like a bow that goes through his head. You know what I mean? Like an arrow going through... That was one of his jokes. You know what I mean? He's singing King Tut. He's going around and just making fun of himself in, like, these hilarious ways... And it never feels like he's always the butt, of, joke, butt yeah. of the joke. right? He's so self-deprecating, so self-deprecating. He's so funny. Yeah. And this movie is like almost the same way you see like a lot of stand-up comedians finally, like, finally make like their first movie, and like a lot of their bits end up in the movie. That's kind of like what happens here. And he's just this massively naive character growing up in the world and going through all these experiences. And uh, it's just a comedy classic, right? It's so massively quotable even in like things like in Freaks and Geeks they quote this movie and so many things through pop culture they just have quoted this movie over and over and it's it it tries nothing but to make you laugh and it succeeds over and over and over and over and Steve Martin is just a gift to humanity so two things Uh, Thanksgiving is coming up and Planes
1: Trains and Automobiles is like always like I have to watch it during Thanksgiving time and it's one of my favourite Steve Martin movies number one number two I just recently watched the Emmys and Steve Martin was on stage presenting an award with... Martin Short. Martin Short and Selena Gomez. And he was so funny. Yep. And it just reminded me when he had his run as the presenter at the Oscars yep. or the Martha ceremonies or whatever it was, whatever the role is, right? And I'm like... Can you just guy get him to come back? He's, he's still the, he's the got it. He's the he's best. He's so witty and he's still so like on the ball with his comedic timing. Yep. I would love to see them do a throwback presenter. Bring back my guy, Steve Martin, and let's do one more show at the Oscars. Listen,
0: man, like I can recommend everything about Steve Martin. I love right. his book. I love his stand-up comedy. Like, this guy's just an incredible Contributor, You know what I mean? Like, he's just such a great creator. And I just love everything that he does. And his
1: run is still going yeah. in 2022. You have to respect still that. Still
0: so funny. Still, like, he chooses to not do things, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, everything he puts out, like, I don't know, man. I've always been such a big fan. Mm-hmm. But uh, go out of your way. Check out The Jerk. Comedy classic. John, uh, that's everything for this week where can anybody find us
1: we are at screen off script on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok we're available on spotify and apple Podcasts. hey listen if you got 20 seconds do us a favor rate and review us honestly you doing that taking those 20 seconds out goes a long way in helping our show get found by new
0: audiences awesome thank you for checking us out sweet guys take care